0: Over the last two weeks, we've been uh, just in a a little short series looking at devoted to prayer and devoted to the word. We want to be a church that are devoted to both of these things. That's one of the reasons that we preach through the Bible. So today, we're beginning a new series through the book of Philippians. This is going to be a normal diet at King's Church. We're going to preach through books of the Bible. Uh, Last last semester, we were in Mark. The semester before that, we were in Genesis. It's what we're gonna do. We wanna be people of the word. We wanna know the word. We want to we wanna drink from it. We wanna we wanna eat from the word. We wanna find delight in it. We wanna meditate on it. We wanna memorize it. We wanna hide it in our hearts so we might not sin against God. We wanna be people of the word. So over the next seventeen weeks, we're gonna be in this little book of four chapters. We're gonna work through it fairly what we did in Mark and Genesis. We're going to be doing verses, not chapters, each week. As through Philippians, writing to, earlier in Acts 16, he is writing to friends. One, one commentator says, the book of Philippians is a, is a friendship letter. It's one of encouragement, of joy, of unity, of, of spurring on. Over the next 17 weeks, we're going to go verse by verse through this little book so that we get a full understanding of this letter and how it guides us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. In Philippians 1:27 to 30, which really is the key verses in the book of Philippians, this is what it says. Only... Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, listen to what he says, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Paul's longing for this church that he planted around 10 years prior to this letter. His longing for them is that they would live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's my longing for us. Over the next few months, from now till early May, we're going we're to work through this little book. And my prayer for all of us is that our lives would be so radically changed that we can all say in, in one accord that we're striving to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Yes, as you think about this Christian life, many times we, we think about it individualistically, right? Right? We're, we're growing individually, we, and we want to grow that way. But remember, this book, this letter, is addressed to the church in Philippi. He's writing to a people. He's writing to a community. We grow together. We do life together. We, we're on this, this journey communally, corporately, grabbing, a, grabbing one another and saying, come on, let's go, let's walk, let's live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So we're going to see this throughout the next few months. As we begin today in this book, I want to set the scene for you of who Paul is writing to and why he is writing. Eric read earlier from Acts 16, and really it's, it begins in, chapter, in verse 6, but it goes all the way to verse 40. It begins with Paul, Paul's hearing from the Spirit, seeing a vision. Hey, come to us and tell us about the gospel. Come to Macedonia. So he goes. He's yielded to the Spirit. He's filled with the Spirit. He's led by the Spirit. So he goes, although he wants to go to Asia, he goes to Macedonia, and his first stop is Philippi. He gets to Philippi, and as we read, he's like, okay, there's there's not a synagogue here, so where do I go? Well, let me go to where they're gathering to pray. There's God-fearers who are gathering to pray, and there he meets this lady named Lydia. He goes, and he, he shares the gospel. By this riverside. And they hear the gospel. And they believe the gospel. Lydia invites them into her home. And it says that Lydia and her whole household believed. This is the start of this church. Paul and his companions. This is is what Risen Church is doing now in Concord. That we got to send out at the beginning of this month. This is what we do. We go and we plant the gospel. And through planting the gospel... We plant churches. That's what's happening here in Acts 16. So Paul, he, he shares the gospel with Lydia. Her family comes to faith. And then as he's in Philippi, right? He's in Philippi. And what's happening there is, is there, there's this young girl. She's got, a, she's got a spirit of divination in her. And she's, she's telling all these things and making a lot of money for her, her owner, her master. And Paul gets tired of this. He's fed up. He's like, Hey. You need to be quiet. And he casts out that demon. He casts out that spirit. And because of this, he gets put in prison. But this is all in God's plan to start this church in Philippi. Because in this prison, in this jail cell, he starts singing and worshiping. And and what happens is is the chains are released off their legs. The doors are opened. Yet they stay still. They stay in the jail cell. And, and the Philippian jailer, this is a... This is a famous story, right? A lot of people know this story. The Philippian jailer is just, he, he's like, oh, my gosh, I'm about to be killed because all the, all the prisoners are gone. So he's sitting there about to take his own life. And Paul says, hold on, we're still here. We didn't leave. And he's, he's just blown away by probably what he's been hearing them sing, what they've been saying. And now he asks that question that all of us long to be asked, right? What what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? All of us want to hear this question asked by our coworkers, our friends, our families. Right? We want to hear this question. And Paul tells them. And then this, this Philippian jailer invites them into his house. And it says again that him and the whole household was saved. This is the beginnings, the birth of the church. Of Philippi. Sometime around 80, AD 51-52 is what most scholars say. So as we, as we think about this, the beginnings of a, of a wealthy lady and her family, of a slave girl, and of a Philippian jailer. Already we're seeing diversity in this church. We're seeing, we're seeing God gather a people for himself to be light and salt in Philippi. So Paul now, he's writing this letter about 10 years later, In AD 61, he's writing this letter to these people. I want to run through just a few quick facts for you so that we can just have a a foundation from which we can build the rest of this semester. So the the occasion, as you see, the occasion that Paul's writing is that he's giving thanks for this this church and their partnership in the gospel. He's also warning them against disunity. We'll see that in chapter 4. Chapter 4. He's warning them against false teaching that will hinder the spread of the gospel. The purpose of this letter is to promote gospel-centered unity for the sake of advancing the gospel. That's what Paul wants to see. He wants to see this church unified around so that the gospel will go forth all over Macedonia and to the ends of the earth. He wants this, this body, this local body, to be encouraged to love Christ courageously. Of Christ, courageously. The theme, look, as a whole, is really, really twofold. It's partnership in the gospel and walking worthy of the gospel. Partnership in the gospel and walking worthy of the gospel. The worthy, this worthy walk, this worthy manner of living involves both Christian unity and a willingness to suffer for the advancement of the gospel. It's going to be hard for us to listen to this. Suffer for the advancement of the gospel? Yeah, that's what Paul is going to call us to do. And he's actually, we just read it, he's actually going to say that it's a gift from God. To suffer for the sake of the gospel. In this city? The gospel in future weeks. Logically, I think it's good for us to be in scheme of the scripture. And suffering, and justification by faith alone. This letter is like most letters in the scriptures, or letters that we would receive. There's a, there's a greeting, there's a body of the letter, and then there's a, there's a salutation, a see you, right? That's, that's how this letter is, is written. As we, as we think about Philippians as a whole, I thought Gordon Fee, commentator, uh, New Testament theologian, I thought his words for really summing up Philippians would be a good launching pad for us. Listen to what he says. Our letter invites us into the advance of the gospel, the good news about Christ and the Spirit. It points us to Christ, both for now and forever. Christ is the gospel. Christ is Savior and Lord. Thus, Christ is our life. Christ is our way of life. Christ is our future. Christ is our joy. Many of you know Philippians 121. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And all to the glory of our God and Father. Amen. Right? This is Christ. We, as, we, as we work through this book, we want to look more like Jesus. We want to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's our hope. Today, we're just going to begin with two simple verses. The greeting. Our big idea for today is let us rejoice. Let us rejoice in being servants, saints, and saved in Christ. Servants, saints, and the saved in Christ. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we we give you praise. We thank you for this day. We thank you for life in Jesus. Father, may life in Jesus be sweet to us. May May we taste and see that you are good. God, open our eyes that we may see your wondrous words, what you've done, what you're doing. God, help us to, help us to savor Christ Jesus. Help us to rejoice in Christ Jesus. Help us to rejoice in this new life that we have in Jesus. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Paul begins this letter, as all letters that he writes, with who's writing it and who he's writing to. And then he gives them a little blessing. This is what he says in verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In this greeting, you probably noticed, Paul's emphasis is on Jesus on Christ Jesus Paul is so overwhelmed and we get this in all of his writings he's so overwhelmed with the beauty and majesty of Jesus that his writings that in his writings it has to come out in Christ in Christ in Christ Within this greeting we see an emphasis on Jesus and we see three descriptions of who we are in Christ who we are in Christ Paul begins Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus we are Servants of Christ, servants of Christ. This word, this word actually in, in this context would, it's probably a stronger word than we're used to. It's, it's actually slave. But for us in, in the U.S., slave has, has really terrible connotations, right? So, so I think servant's a little bit easier for us to stomach because slaves, especially in our context, we just, we think of chattel slavery and we think of like an abuse of people, right? This is, this is a little bit different. This is a little bit different. So I think servants, slaves, uh, I mean, it is slaves here, but servants of Christ Jesus, those owned by and subservient to the master of a household. The, in God's economy, the, the unique thing about this servant-slave language in God's economy is that it's actually the highest commendation possible. Right? It, that's kind of crazy to think, right? Like, no, I want to be a king. I want to be a lord. I want to be a master. No, you're a servant if you're a, if you're a follower of Christ. You're a slave of Christ if you're a follower of Christ. And That's what Paul's getting at here. His emphasis is on the lowly service of the Christian, of Paul and Timothy. Later, Paul is going to tell us and point us to, in chapter 2, the greatest servant that ever lived. The servant that came to earth and died a humiliating death. He served us by dying for us, by giving his life as a ransom for many. This is, this is humility, servitude. If we were to look at Paul's life, if we were to take a quick scan of Paul's life, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a leader. He knew the Bible. He was persecuting Christians. And then Jesus radically saved him on the road to Damascus. And, and everything that Paul boasted in became as dung And everything he boasted in turned to to being a slave of Jesus Christ. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. Now I'm a slave. I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. Paul's life was totally at the disposal of Christ. That's how he lived his life. Lord, my, my hands are open. Send me wherever you want. Do to me whatever you want. I will die for the sake of the gospel. Paul is in prison as he's writing this. He's been imprisoned. This is a prison epistle, just like Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon. Paul's in prison writing this and he's saying Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus. Is your life is your life totally at the disposal of Christ Jesus. If he calls you to go are you willing to go? If he calls you to share the gospel with that coworker that's antagonistic towards the gospel, will you share the gospel? Paul's attitude is on full display in 1 Corinthians 9, and I think this gives us a good, just a good vision for how our lives should be. Right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9 that he has become all things to all people that by all means God might save some. Right? This is our lives. We serve so that God may save some. We serve one another to encourage one another, but we serve our community so that God may save some. This is the mission that God's called us to, to serve one another and to serve those who are far from him. Jesus is the prime example of this. He told us in Mark Mark 10, I came not to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. This is why he came, he modeled this for us, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Paul could have said an apostle of Christ Jesus. He doesn't do that. He doesn't pull out his apostle card. He pulls out his servant card. Because he's saying, hey, church, hey, Philippi, we want you to be like this as well. You know Timothy. Look at Timothy. Timothy's a a man that that Paul discipled. He's he's his son in the faith. He's a man who who sacrificed all for the sake of the gospel. He's a man that that Paul's going to point to in Philippians 2. And he's going to say, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. That's, a, man, that's an incredible statement about someone. All right? Think about this. Think about it. This, was, this is how people described you. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So the question, do you have a servant's heart? We are slaves of Christ and servants of one another. Do you look for ways to serve? Here at, here at Kings, we have, we have a, a lot of ways for you to serve. We've got, we've got facility stuff. We've got to clean this place each week. We, we've got Kings kids that, we, that we're looking for volunteers for. We've got greeters. Don't you want to be a greeter? Like you had incredible greeters this morning we got audio and video needs where people can serve up in the balcony, at the booth, in our community. We want to serve our local schools. We want to serve it as, as people, as people have, have giftings and passions. That's where we want to serve. We want to serve in homeless ministry. We want to serve in food pantries. We have, a, we have a partnership with Love Life. We want to serve with them. We want to help moms and dads not kill their babies and say, no, this is precious life. We have places to serve. Jesus's desire, as we saw in Mark over and over again, is that all of us would serve and be servants. That's his desire for us. So Paul begins with with introducing himself, and then he directs his letter to a certain people. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to the saints, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, right? We're saints in Christ. We are saints in Christ. This is how Paul addresses the church to the saints, the holy ones, the, the new covenant people. The, the church is set apart in the city. Hey, saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. They're set apart. They're saints in Christ in Philippi, right? They're, they're lo- it's a local body serving together. They know one another, they know who they are. They're in Christ. The church is united to Christ the body. Christ Jesus is the sphere in which the Christian lives and moves. That's amazing. We're saints in Christ. He, he's actually who, who we live in and move, right? It's, it's, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's who we are. We're saints. In Christ Jesus, we're, we're, we're united to Christ. He says, Saints in Christ Jesus. What does it mean? What's it mean to be a saint? What does it mean to be a saint? You know, some of us may come from different backgrounds, some of us may have a have kind of a, a sainthood in our in our mind from the from a Catholic background where that word is kind of distorted. It's it's, a, it's kind of a holier-than-thou. It's one who's accomplished much and was deemed a saint by the church. Right? But, but Paul addresses here all believers as saints. It simply means set-apart or holy. If you're a follower of Christ, you're a saint. Saints make up the church. That means believers make up the church. Right? That's why we believe in regenerate church membership. What does that mean? Well, it means that that those who come into the church and walk through membership, we want to know if you're a believer. So, in our membership class in a few weeks, right, what we're gonna do after that is we're gonna we're gonna have a we're gonna have an interview where you get to share your testimony, we get to rejoice in Christ's saving work in your life. We get to we get to hear the gospel from one another. Hey, we want to know you, we want you to be known. The saints in Christ Jesus. Holy. And set apart. Does this describe your life? Holy and set apart. Would your friends, family, co-workers see holiness and righteousness in your speech and in your actions? How about your thought life? If we could see in your mind, would it, would that be a characteristic? Holy, set apart? If we could see what you looked at over the last week on your phone or watched on Netflix, would it shout, holy, holy, holy? Hey, this, is, this is who we are. We're saints. You, you once were this, but now you're redeemed, reconciled. You're saints. We're to be a people set apart from this world. We're to be a people, as Paul's going to say later in Philippians 2, who shone as lights in a wicked and twisted generation? Do you shine as lights or do you make no difference? Right, in your workplace, at UNCC, among your friends, are we shining as lights? Are we saints, holy and set apart? What's, if you answer that and you say, oh man, I really struggle there. Well, you're in good company. I think all of us struggle there, right? We're all on a journey of sanctification, of growing in holiness. But this is not to be done alone. This isn't to be done alone. We do this together. There's great need, church. Church, there's great need to be in one another's lives. There's great need for for one another asking hard questions. For us calling out sin. For us receiving those rebukes. This happens, this happens in small groups, discipleship groups. This happens throughout the week as we're in one another's homes, as we grab coffee, as we we go run errands, right? We're we're serving, we're ministering alongside of one another to this end, to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. No one's left out of this church, this congregation. He even even goes as far and he, he points out, Hey, saints in Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Hey, leaders, you're not off the hook here. You're not off the hook. Well, I, I want to get your attention. Hey, shepherds, pastors. Hey, hey deacons. Hey, hey servant leaders and leading servants. I want to get your attention here. These two offices are included because Paul wants them to understand they're not exempt. They need to take heed as well. Paul begins by calling himself a servant. He calls the church saints. Christian leaders are not above others in the church. Your, your pastors, the four pastors at King's Church, they're not above members in this church. They're servant leaders who submit to Christ and to one another. And to one another. Right? We're servants. So as I, was, as I was thinking through this, these... Just these descriptors of who we are in Christ servants, saints. And this is a high calling. It could, leave you, it could leave you kind of going, I'm so unworthy. Like, this does not align with my life. Although I've confessed Christ as Lord, I believed in my heart that God raised him from the dead. I, I believe this stuff. I can't do it. You're right. You're right. This calling from Christ is impossible apart from the saving work of Christ in our lives. So Paul, so in, in letters written during this time, there was always kind of a, a blessing at the end. Paul takes that blessing in the greeting. He takes that blessing and he turns it into gospel-centered language, Christ-centered language. And this is what he says. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're saved. We're saved in Christ. And by Christ, because we have grace. Paul, Paul wants them to, to, to be filled with grace, to overflow with grace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is God's expression of goodness in His not giving us our due punishment. Uh, I thought of, and just grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that can pardon and, and cleanse within, grace that is greater than all our sin. Like this is what Paul wants us to understand. Grace. It's by grace you've been saved. We need this daily to remind us that we are helpless apart from the saving work of Jesus in our life. Have you? Have you experienced this grace? Ephesians 2 1 through 10 gives us a clear picture of where we are apart from God's grace. It says, and the language is outside of Christ, the language is rough, right? You were dead you're not in Christ. You are dead in your sins and trespasses. You're dead in your sins and trespasses. You're you're actually following the, the prince of darkness. You're following Satan. You're at enmity with God. But God, this is what, this is the good news of the gospel right here. But God, him being rich in mercy, he saved us. By grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not not anything you can do. It's nothing you can do. God does the work in you. By grace you've been saved because of what Christ has done. What Christ accomplished on the cross. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. What Christ accomplished on the cross. He took your sin. He took the death you deserve. And he paid the penalty. Yet, three days later, He was raised from the dead, showing that he's victorious over sin and death and Satan. And now we can have life. By grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not your works so that you may not boast. It's God's work in you. If you've not received this grace, it is freely given. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can repent and believe right now, and God will save you. We have been given grace. And this grace, as Paul is going to pray over them and bless them, grace to you and peace. This grace yields peace in our lives. Grace and peace are connected. We have peace. Peace is the fruit of such gracious activity in the experience of sinners. And its main characteristic is reconciliation to God through Jesus. Why do we have peace? Because we've been reconciled to God. You see, outside of Christ, we are enemies of God. We're at enmity with him. Yet in Christ, we experience peace because we've been brought to that reconciling relationship with him. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, and just, just think about the theology built into this. Think about, I mean, just, just a few words. Grace to you in peace from God our Father you have a dad. He's our Father if you're in Christ Jesus, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father and Lord, servants of Christ Jesus. He is Lord of our lives. Here, Paul is, is joining them together. Yes, the, the Spirit is also a part of this Godhead, of this Trinity. but here Paul shows the, the unity between these two in the Godhead. He shows the, the unity in salvation. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, we are, we're servants. We're saints. We're saved in Christ Jesus. This is good news for us. Knowing this about our identity, knowing that we are secure in Christ. The rest of Philippians just flows. As Paul brings rebuke, we can receive it. As Paul brings encouragement, we can receive it. As Paul brings challenges, we can receive it because our identity is secure in Christ Jesus. You're saved by grace. You're saints. Now we go out and serve. I pray that we would rejoice in who we are in Christ. Let us live lives that look after the needs of others. For this is the beauty of it. For in that we model to the world our Savior, who came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We're light, we're salt in this world. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we give you praise. Thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. God, I pray now as we as we break bread together through this ordinance of the Lord's Supper. I pray that you would remind us afresh of the sacrifice of Christ. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.